Hi, I'm Mike. And I'm Dave. And join us every Thursday for a new episode of Two Player Bros, a podcast about two guys who play way too many video games. Join me and Dave as we talk about the latest in Xbox, PlayStation, PC, and VR news, previews, and reviews. We have it all, and we play it all. And join us every other week for Post Game, where we play through and dive deep into our favorite modern classics and new releases. That's Two Player Bros, available every Thursday wherever you get your podcast. part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Hey, it's Andrew Morgan, host of the Nomcast, the Netflix original movie podcast. Each week, we review the biggest Netflix original movies with special guests from the film industry, the music industry, comedians, and of course, our fellow podcasters. Check us out on the web at nomcastpod.com. Follow us on the socials at nomcastpod. And most importantly, listen and subscribe to us wherever you get podcasts. Hit that beat one time. Hi, I'm Mike Field. I'm Pat Whalen. Pat is a lifelong comic book geek. And Mike is a filmmaker and storyteller. So naturally, a bulk of our conversations surround the world of the Marvel movies. Some consider the MCU one of the greatest achievements in modern day filmmaking, and others just think they're comic book movies. Each episode, we'll tackle one film and discuss the differences between the comic book and what's on screen. We'll explore the growth of the Marvel Cinematic Universe from its inception to present day and beyond, and have a little fun along the way. You may not have asked for it. You certainly don't need it, but you'll be happy we're here. We think. This is yet another MCU podcast. Pat, we are now in space. That's right. We are going, boldly going. To nowhere. nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. I was I was trying to mix uh, mix franchises there. So welcome back. I am Mike, and that is Pat, as I point to him. But you cannot see that because we're uh, on mics and on a podcast. How's everybody doing? Uh, you, you you cannot answer that. So we assume all we're doing well. So now we are. We are here to talk about, I guess, a new. I joke when I said we are now in space, but we are really talking about a new area of frontier yes again mixing franchises uh we are talking about guardians of the galaxy so we'll get into like you know how we like to do we'd like to do movie then comic slash movie comparisons and then we dive into this movie's role within the entire mcu uh, so here we go guardians of the galaxy was released on friday august 1st 2014 at a runtime of 121 minutes, rated PG-13, production budget of $170 million. And I was going to go back and look, but I think that's on par with like the last Thor or one of the... Probably. Uh, yeah. uh, opening weekend, it did $94 million. Domestically, $333 million. Worldwide, $772 million. And honestly, it, w- it, was a, it was a pretty big hit. It was. Yeah. I think surprising hit, too. It's one of those movies also that... I think it appealed to a lot more of a mainstream audience rather than mm-hmm. just the Marvel fans yeah. or people who want. I mean, it's a it's a summer movie, obviously. So that's what you're going to get. Written and directed by James Gunn. He, uh, he also had help writing. Uh, Nicole Perlman wrote it as well. She had she actually goes on to do Captain Marvel. Gunn has done. Uh, he's, he went on to do the second Guardians of the Galaxy, and uh, he's going to be doing Suicide Squad, too. And I'm sure at this point, you know, the kerfuffle that Mr. Gunn caused. But he's back. He's back. Um, he's he back, back, but he almost wasn't back for the third one, when, whenever that's going to be. Uh, composer Tyler Bates, uh, he has done Watchmen and John Wick 3, which I'm always going to pump John Wick because I like that. Cinematographer Ben Davis, 
was on the Duke Captain Marvel as well. And obviously, we all know who produced these movies. I'm not even going to say it. How about that? How about that? So we have a whole new list of people that have entered the MCU. And they obviously continue on, and we'll get to that later. But you have Chris Pratt coming in as Peter Quill or Star-Lord, as he tries to get everyone to call him. <laughs> Zoe Saldana as Gamora. Dave Bautista as Drax. Vin Diesel as Groot or the voice of Groot. Bradley Cooper as the voice of Rocket. Lee Pace as Ronan. Uh, Michael Rooker as Yondu. Karen Gillian as Nebula, for all those uh, Doctor Who fans out there. Uh, Jiman, I, I say his name wrong all the time. Jiman Hanzu as Karath. Uh, Glenn Close is in this movie as Nova Prime. And then you have Benicio Del Toro as the collector who kind of scatters about throughout. the. Yeah, he makes yeah. a couple other appearances. And we'll dive into that as well. So, Pat, did you like this movie? I did like this okay. movie. Do you like this movie? Is this, now we have, this is the 10th movie, right? Did we say this is the 10th movie in the MCU? Yep. Yes. It is. So it's, what is it? The fourth in phase two. Yeah, right. so it should be 10. Okay. So the movie in and of itself, we just talked about it briefly, how it was appealing to a mainstream crowd, I, I think. I mean, I mean, just kind of in my experience of being at the theater, seeing uh, a lot of people return and stuff like that mm -hmm. to see the movie. Do you think this movie kind of transcended uh, some people who are obviously people are there because it's an MCU movie, but it's really not connected anything to what we've seen previous, which we will get into. But the movie in and of itself. I guess, what did you appreciate more? So I'm going to make a really bold Ooh, statement. Go for it. Go for and it. make a really bold statement that, that might have a lot of people turn this off, but I beg you to, <laughs> that, to um, stay on. I might have to interject here. Oh, go ahead. When I got out of this film, you know, however many years ago this was. Uh, six. I said that... <laughs> <laughs> I said that this was the episode one that we were promised. The Star Wars um, episode one. So now, now you're attacking another franchise. I'm not attacking. I'm not attacking. <laughs> I enjoy episode one. I was 10 when the movie came out. Yeah. So I'm a diehard for it. And that is a hill I will die on. But oh, well, that's the, you're, that's a hill you're going to die on. Right. I understand that. <laughs> I was 10. It was great. We went and bought the action figures right afterwards. Listen, there's a lot of things I liked when I was 10 that I don't like anymore. Just want to you know, throw that out there. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> this one was. It was a lot of fun. Like you said, it, it doesn't feel part of the Marvel Universe. It still has that same kind of look and feel to it to a degree, same kind of colorization, cinematography. Nothing was was off the reservation. Okay. And the humor was still in there, but you get a really fun space story that's that's essentially just told within the two hour time frame okay. of this window. And we'll talk a little bit about how it connects later on and, and things connect back to it. But you had a hero that was, I think, or a protagonist that was enjoyable and interesting to follow he's enjoyable and interesting to follow to a degree i'm gonna we're gonna get to that <laughs> <laughs> and then the sidekicks i think the sidekicks all play well with each other they all have a little bit of an arc themselves and the space battles the space battles were space battles space battles were incredible <laughs> so when i say that this is the episode one we were promised that's what i was talking about that you know you got a really good protagonist you don't have a whiny 10 year old you don't have somebody like a, yelling at pee <laughs> you got a whiny 30 year old at some points but you don't have a whiny 10 year old you got really good space battles and it builds this whole new universe mm -hmm. that we haven't seen yet mm -hmm. so my first note watching this movie is i go the mother dies is this a disney movie oh wait it is <laughs> my first note 
after the mother died, hug the kid. Yeah. I, hug the kid. Your, is, your mother, his mother died and you stick him out in the hallway by himself. Now, mind you. Yes. Uh, I, there, there's a lot of these movies when they go back to the eighties, there's so like, especially like with stranger things and, mm-hmm. and there's so much devoid of emotion at some point. Like there's just like granted kids played outside all the time. Yeah. And you know, and then I remember, I remember cause I was 10 and 85. Yes. I'm old. I remember the stories of the white paneled vans that are searching for children. And it was such a big deal. It was so scary. And then I read back, I think a couple months ago, I read it. It was just like, it was one time in one area and it like blew up and everyone thought it was like, there were predators everywhere. Listen, there's predators out there, no doubt. But like everyone played outside your door was open. You, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to be like nostalgic. Like I'm the guys, the old guys in the Barles and James commercials who are sitting on the front porch, yeah. you know, like, but that's what it was. You just were like outside all the time. And that was, People didn't really like there was no kind of like emotional connection yeah. at some point like you didn't. But yeah, agreed. Like, you know, it's just like his mother's died and he's upset and he's angry and they start getting mad at him because he won't <laughs> hold her hand. He's he's 10 and they leave him in the hallway with nobody else where the, everybody else gathers around the dead mother. Yeah, yeah there's yeah. not an aunt or something that's going to escort and sit with the kid. I know. And the, so, and I get it. They're all upset. She's she's passing away. That's her. That's his daughter. And he runs off and. There's apparently nobody else working in the hospital. <laughs> All the lights are shut off. <laughs> I know. Uh, sorry, that's it. Lights out. Um, so it's whatever. It's a movie. I understand that. I don't think he's 10. I think he's like 13 or something yeah. like that. He's a little older. So I shouldn't have said he's 10. But I will say that it is one of the more. I thought it was one of the more stronger openings of the series mm-hmm. of the entire MCU. Um, I know I keep I, we're going to it's always going to be filtering in and out. But uh, I thought it was a good opening. It kind of sets it up. It, it, it you know. I thought maybe the title should have came in after that, but they kind of keep going. I think the title uh, person, I think dancing. Yeah. I, yeah. I think the title works well. Cause like, you're going to bring in this goofy title. You don't know who he is. You don't know who any of the, the alien, the ravagers are at that point. Mm-hmm. I think putting the goofy title into the middle of the song sets up really what this movie's about. This isn't about death and, 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 mother dying although that's no, certainly that's part know, of it part of it yeah. but it's really about this group of goofy heroes well i took it i took the mother angle and i know that they they bring her back at the end when he's reaching out he's got the stone in his hand and she's reaching out i took the mother angle to be like he went off onto his own he never really had a family mm-hmm. he was kind of like a quote-unquote loner you don't really get a lot of the stuff with the yacht with yondu in terms of like what actually happened there like you i know they in the second one they kind of do like he's a father figure, yep. but like in this movie, I don't get any of that. And I'm supposed to understand that. You know what I mean? Until like the very end when he has the troll and he's laughing, but yeah. like, I don't get that. Yandu makes the comments like, well, I raised you. And then Peter fires back. It's like, yeah, but I cleaned up and did everything for you. Right. Like it was like a dread pirate Robert situation. <laughs> we're really, we're that's really a, just going full boat with all these references. That but, a, that's a princess bride reference for anyone out there. You should watch that movie. It's pretty was good. That 1985 princess bride. That's I think that's eighty seven. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree that they don't really they they kind of hint at the the Yandu thing. You're supposed to understand that he like treated him like a son. If you treat your son like right, the stepmother treated Cinderella. I do appreciate that they they go into further detail in the next movie. But it but, do you think that cheapens what you have? Not cheapens, but changes the way you view this one. So basically, the whole my whole point was that the mother angle was that he doesn't have a family, right? He, and then now he's reaching out. For his his new family like i can discern that and you can discern that mm-hmm. right now but i don't think that's maybe spelled out enough for me granted i understand it's a summer movie it's a marvel movie yeah. but they rely a lot more on 
joke stuff and them riffing Mm -hmm. and the plot rather than about Peter Quill's character. And I think that when I was talking about how he gets a little bit too much, yeah, that's why. I think that drives home some of the problems with him later on into Infinity War and and Guardians right. Two is that they've they've almost I'm going to throw in another reference here, but they they, <laughs> they did the Pirates of the Caribbean thing where that first movie Curse of the Black Pearl is the great. Jack Sparrow mo- character is well rounded, yes. three dimensional, but he's funny. And, and then when you get into Dead Man's Chest and in the later films, yeah. they focus solely on the funny. Yes. And I think they do that a lot with Peter here as well. Is like people really connected with the funny, but the thing then I think, you know, you could dive deeper than surface level is the the character arcs and him coming to terms with not only his mother, but then his father in the next film mm-hmm. and then uh Gamora as well in mm-hmm. in the later films. Well, in this movie, Quill is definitely the lead. He does have tendencies where he acts like, oh, like we talk about when you have a comedy, you have like somebody who's the zany person who makes all the jokes and you have the straight man who's the lead who has to play off of that. His reaction is the audience, all that stuff. He is supposed to be kind of like the straight man in this, but then he at some points he becomes the zany guy. And that, that's um, that's something that's prevalent throughout now. So I can't really give this a negative for that. Um, and that's Chris Pratt's persona. That's right. his That's his charm. I absolutely understand why he's the lead in this and he and he's a good lead he's a funny character but he's not a deep character i got a writing question for you okay you know we talked about bringing together an ensemble in the avengers episode and and how you kind of tie these these different characters and the different arcs in there but the difference with avengers and guardians is we were able to meet all those characters beforehand yeah what do you have to do differently in this version and, and do you like the way they approached it and in, in slowly introducing each character to to make them part of the team or, or what goes into your head as you're seeing some of the stuff? Well, I think it works. I mean, I think you need to have a, no, a knowledge of the comic world in terms of Gamora mm-hmm. and um, Nebula. Yes. In terms of why they're with this dude, this big blue dude. Yeah. Thanos. Not Thanos. <laughs> <laughs> the other guy. The oh, guy. he's the purple dude. Sorry. Yeah. Ronan. Ronan. Okay. But they do set her up well. They set they set Quill up well and Rocket and Groot, they go more in depth with them in the second movie, which is what you need, what you do with supporting characters. Mm-hmm. I mean, this movie is Quill's movie, which is probably why I wanted a little bit more. But the supporting characters are fine. The way they get together is is an organic kind of way in, yeah. in terms of the organic storytelling. So I was okay with that. Now, I I don't not like this movie. I, I, I enjoy this movie. I do think it kind of stalls a little when they get to nowhere because of plot. You know, right. like they have to, like Drax calling out Ronan. And telling him to come there. there. And that's because they couldn't figure out how they could get there. Right. I mean, that's and I I know I talk about sometimes maybe on the other podcast, but I talk about character actions and characters affecting the story. And that's one of those moments. I don't know if I I just probably it felt forced. The whole idea of why the slave grabs the stone uh, when they're at the collector Oh, right. Was she a spy for Thanos or Ronan or was they don't she called anything. to the stone yeah. like it was the, you know, the ring of power? Or what was it? But yeah. And I, right. my note was like her reasoning makes a little sense, except for story plot, you know, so like stuff like that. Yeah. There's there's some stuff that just feels a little forced. That being said, I understand why that's there and I, I get the explanation. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I don't know. That's just me. That's fair. It makes yeah. sense. So you say you liked it. Yes. So nothing in the story kind of you didn't dig? You know, you bring a good point about the Drax scene. One thing I noticed in this was they kill a lot of people. Like our protagonists are not heroes. They kill a lot 
at the prison later on at Ronin ship. Uh, there's, you know, a lot of stuff, a lot of violence, a lot of stuff happening, but it's space. So it kind of gets <laughs> a little bit of a pass. The ending with the dance off, you know, I get what it's doing. Yeah. I was just a little, you know, it's, it does. I don't know. It doesn't, doesn't that, carry well that, six years later. Yeah. That felt that ending feels, or at least that, that part of the ending. Cause I, I like the ending when they grab the stone and all that stuff. That's yeah, good. That is good. But that ending did feel like, Hey, what if I challenge them to a dance off? Like, you know what I yeah, mean? It's like, I, go, Oh yeah. Go give it a shot. We'll, we'll put the yeah. cameras on and then they just kept it. I am always a fan of if it with organically within the story and I, and I can see it happening. Okay. I get that because the fact that he's dancing in the opening credit sequence, I'm supposed to believe that's going to translate to him dancing at the end when all hope is lost and all the dude has to do is just drop the hammer. I agree. That's, that's <laughs> what I, the more I watch it, that's, that's the one part that really befuddles me. Yeah. But speaking of the music, you know, I know that the story here was that James Gunn had kind of written it around some of these musical beats, the seventies. Yeah. Music. Does that, okay. You know, his whole thing was like, how do I make these characters relatable? And let me bring in music that's relatable. Sure. Does that work? I, I think, think so. Yeah. It works. It works so much that they bring it forward to the the third Thor movie. And pieces of Infinity War, I think. Well, we'll get to that. Yeah. So why don't we get to maybe some of the differences okay. between the comics and the movies and this movie? Excuse me. I have many, many notes, but maybe maybe it's best if since this is a brand new foyer into the the marvel world and, and why don't you kind of give a brief i don't know overview overview of, of like where guardians yeah. came from and all that stuff so the team the guardians of the galaxy team that we see on screen with star lord and gamora and drax and Gru and rocket that's not the first incarnation of the team the name for the team came from a group that was created in the late 60s it was at the time it was kind of like the thing that was happening in comics, the Silver Age, Marvel was basing a lot of their stuff on science. So that's why you see a lot of their heroes building their their tech or building their armor or radioactive bombs or whatever going gamma bombs going off. So this was kind of let's just throw everything sci-fi at the wall and see what sticks. So the story goes that the then editor in chief of Marvel had conceived of this Guardians group as, as like a, a guerrilla fighting group facing off against Russians and Chinese in a divided America. Doesn't sound very spacey because it wasn't. Um, so he was a little bit too busy to pitch it. So he handed it off to another writer, this new writer, Arnold Drake. And, and with Drake and Stan Lee, they came up with this more interplanetary space-based storyline. This team was incredibly different. I mean, we could maybe go into it, but I, I think leaving that aside, it, Stars a, a random Yandu, which we'll get into. A random <laughs> and it was set in the 31st century on an alternate Earth. Nice. So it's not the one that we've come to know and love. Um, but if you flash forward to 2008, writers Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning, they had relaunched the team with new members. And these new members include the ones that we've you know gotten to know with with costumes and designs similar to what we see on screen. So it's it was Star-Lord, Groot, Gamora, Rocket, Drax, and then you had other characters, Adam Warlock and Phyla Vell. And I'm not going to get into Adam Warlock because there's so many rumors. There's so many things that everybody wants to see him in different points in the Marvel Universe. He's a, he has a big tie into the Thanos storyline. I'm not sure if we're ever going to see him ever because Thanos storyline's over. Story over with. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with Adam. But this Guardians team 
first appeared in a crossover called Annihilation Conquest. It was actually in the midst of the Civil War storyline that was going on. And and we're going to dive into that in depth when we get to that episode. So all the Earth heroes were dealing with the, the Superhero Registration Act. Marvel was doing a separate space crossover, the Annihilation crossovers, which were focused on all of the cosmic characters. And these crossovers, just to kind of give you some background, they usually use them as a way to either cancel books that they want to end, kill off characters that they're not interested in, relaunch books or launch new books and bring back characters to life. Okay. So it's kind of like a, a backdoor pilot, essentially, for, for a lot of this stuff. And so um, after the, the, the crossover ended, they spun it out into a new team. So the, the Guardians were formed with the best intentions, but the team learns that Star-Lord had used Mantis's powers, which we'll, we'll see in, in the next movie, to make the different members a little bit more empathetic and join up, which at that point, everybody um, quits because they don't like Star-Lord doing that. Well, I can imagine. He's kind of a dick. No, I didn't, I didn't <laughs> realize that. I, we'll get to the second one, but I didn't realize Mantis was in the comic, but we'll get to that. Yeah. But continue. They've been relaunched on a number of occasions. They came back at various points in different times. They, they got relaunched in 2003. 13, I believe it was, with Iron Man joining the team. So he took off, went to space, and he joined the Guardians. <laughs> Kitty right. Pride, who is in the X-Men, you'll remember her from the yes. X-Men movies as um, Ellen Page. Yes. She joins the Guardians as Star-Lord's girlfriend. Uh, okay. I don't know if we're able to see that. One thing to know on the Iron Man joining the Guardians. Yeah. Because I, I do think that was like 2012, 2013. There was a lot of rumors that he would make a cameo or a post-credit scene in one of the Guardians movies to tie everything yeah. together. Or at some point, maybe the end of Age of Ultron, he takes off and goes to space. Right. That was all the rumors that were floating around at the time. I have a note that he was supposed to, he was going to make a cameo, right. but uh, he wasn't being cooperative. Uh, the downy so because he was renegotiating. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. No. Absolutely. So they all came back in 2008, but they were all. Like, so Star-Lord, because I have notes here, like, yeah. I think I sent this to you. Star-Lord appeared in Marvel Preview 4. Yep. Rocket Raccoon 7. Gamora was in Strange Tales 1-8. So what's, tell me what Strange Tales is, and then tell me, because Groot was in this thing called Tales of the Astonish. Are these, the the Strange Tales and the Tales of the Astonish, these comic, are these all wrapped within the Guardians series, or are they just separate stuff? They're separate and stuff. And they pulled them in. Yeah, they, they're separate stuff, and they pulled them in. To, to kind of back up and give you some comics yeah. history... They weren't always, you know, nowadays when you go to the comic book store and you you look at the titles, it's Batman, it's Superman, it's Daredevil, it's it's Spider-Man, it's the title character. Right. And right. they have their own title run book. The only ones that kind of still remain, although have been co-opted by their characters, you know, something like Detective Comics mm-hmm. from DC or Action Comics, which stars Superman and um, Detective stars Batman. They originally were published as detective comics they were it was it was a book filled with detective stories okay same thing with tales uh tales to astonish tales of suspense tales of you know fear whatever they are right they they didn't have just like one 22 page story focused on one character they had multiple stories okay multiple characters you know tales to astonish 13 mm-hmm. and had a little bit of maybe like Groot storyline and then it had another storyline maybe dr strangers in there or whatever so it's like an anthology series. yes okay yeah. all right that makes sense i, I, I yeah. get that 
And so Yandu was a part of the original team. He was a part of the the team from the sixties. Okay. He was same guy, same type of character in the movie or different. Different. Yeah, that that little arrow thing that he can control. So he was he was known as Centaurian. He was from the planet Centaur. Um, okay. Not a horse guy. <laughs> he was blue skin. That was my next question. Um, <laughs> he had a much larger, larger red fin on his head. Like if you look him up, he's completely different than oh, the Michael yeah. Rooker Court. I, I think I've seen that. I, I now remember the yeah. giant spiky hair. Yes, yes, I think I've seen. That. And okay. instead of using the um, whistle needle thing right. that he has, he actually shoots a bow and arrow, okay. and he can control it with sound waves. Okay. Similar to what he does here. You know, a, a lot differently, and it took place on an alternate Earth. Didn't really tie into the Peter Quill storyline, mm-hmm. but I think as we discussed in a couple of of other episodes, as these things do, the the video version tends to influence the comic version. Sure. If you like this Michael Rooker character, maybe you want to come in, and then if you start reading about who's this weird giant finned guy that's shooting a bow and arrow in living, yeah. you know, a millennia away from us. So Star-Lord got his own series in, I think, like 2014, 2015. Uh, they introduced a version of Yondu that exists in this Universe 616, the main Marvel Comics universe that we've touched on. And this is the one that looks like the Michael Rooker character. He leads the Ravagers, and he has a little bit more menacing appearance. I don't know if anybody's ever played the game Rogue Trooper. It was a comic. It was a video game. It was actually... Okay. Um, <laughs> so, but he looks a little it. bit more like this blue, like uh, muscled soldier. Okay. Um, so that's, that's where Yandu comes in. So the note I also have here is in the comics, Nebula is actually Thanos' granddaughter instead of daughter like they have here. So this, this Gamora Nebula thing that they do where they're sisters isn't yeah. true? No. Okay. I, I like what they do with them here. It's, well, they weren't ever it, like full sisters. They were oh, half, adopted half sisters. But, but it's yeah. a little bit more of a of a relationship yeah. quandary, if that's a word. Uh, when well, it is a word, but if that's the right word, um, between Gamora and Nebula, and that extends throughout the entire rest of the run, that they would be rivals almost. Yes, rivals for affection for Thanos, who clearly doesn't like Nebula. <laughs> so yeah, no, I I think that's a little more interesting. I didn't know that she was the granddaughter of Thanos. Yeah. One thing I want to note too, though, yeah. you know, we're looking at the comics here is um, Groot. Yes, he was same thing introduced in Tales to Astonish. Yep, it was back in the sixty or like nineteen sixty. He comes from a planet of these tree creatures, and he was the villain that appeared in that story. Okay, the the original story it has nothing to do with superheroes. He crashes into a, a town on Earth, and a doctor discovers him and and discovers that termites can beat him and use those to do that. And it just seemed like something like out of a, an old school kind of Spielberg yeah, movie like or like a, stories. Like, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's cool. That's, I mean, I like that. Well, we, we talked about Nebula. So let me, so Ronan, the accuser. Yes. He is not serving under Thanos. He's more of a partner. He's or, doing a job for Thanos. Right. But the, in the comic, he serves him. I have a note here that he's a cla- He come, there's a combination of Ronan that you see on screen. I'll oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, I was going to. One thing I, I do want to know is that they build up this movie really. They build up the whole universe because we see him again in Captain Marvel. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. you know, so Ronan, he is similar to some of these other guys. He's been around since the 60s, you know, been repurposed here and there. In the Ultimate Universe, he's the son of Thanos. Okay. And then... um 
here, you know, in this one, he's just a partner to him. So they, they take pieces and they, you know, still include some of that interaction with him. Okay. So that's, it's not more about his look, but just kind of his motivations and yeah. his background. And he, in the, the comics too, and you'll remember the character from Captain Marvel, the Supreme Intelligence, yeah. Annette Benning's character. Yeah. He had um, plans to overthrow her because she was the head of the decree empire. That's, you know, what he's part of. And he was always heavily involved in the, the Kree scroll wars, which we see again mm-hmm. brought up in, in Captain Marvel. So this is going to be a loaded question on my part, because yeah. I'm sure it's a long, long answer, but do the best you can. So they go to nowhere. Yes. And it's a base in the, in the comic. I have, it's a base for Guardians of the galaxy. Like it's not what it was, but this nowhere is, is in the head of a celestial, right? Is that like, or is that right in the comic? I don't remember okay. in the comic. So, Explain the Celestials to me. I think that's I, my loaded question. I think I emailed you back and said we're going to hold oh, off. You don't want to do that? Okay, that's fine. Because and the only reason I'm holding off on the Celestials here is because we have the Eternals movie. Okay, coming out and the Celestials are a big piece of the okay. Eternals movie. Plus, you have in Guardians Two, yeah, the ego character. So uh, Kurt Russell's character, right? right he right. falls in line with okay. a lot of that stuff. So we're teasing you. We're teasing the audience for um, <laughs> sorry for Guardians Volume Two. I'm not trying to avoid the question. Just want to save some well, content then, for the well next Well, then one. how about this then? So the nowhere, it, it, it wasn't in the head of a celestial, as they say in this movie, right. in the comic. It was just what? It was a base. It was like uh, a place where they could teleport across the galaxy. Was, was it just, like the nowhere you see? No, yeah, no okay. it wasn't Moss Eisley on steroids <laughs> is, is what they give you. Brain juice or whatever they're mixing. Yeah, no, it was it was solely a base and they could use a teleporter to kind of fast travel across the galaxy. So then why? Why put it in the movie like that? I, I wonder I think it's, why I do that. I think it's a name that people recognize and it's an Easter egg that Marvel can say, oh, the fans will go and say, oh, man, look at that. And, I, you know, I think as we get further into these films, you'll see that Marvel does that a little bit more and more because they understand the appeal of the next day conversation, the Monday morning at the water cooler type conversation where it's like they know that there's a cottage industry of people on YouTube and on blogs and stuff are going to say, did you catch all 55 Easter eggs in this film, which, by the way, <laughs> there's another one. Cosmo, the space dog used oh, to be kind of their that, like yeah. head security at nowhere for the Guardians team. But he was trapped in the collectors. I saw cage. that. I thought that was just some kind of reference to, you know, us sending animals. To that is okay. originally that's where the character came from. Yes. OK. Um, but yeah, I think I think Marvel, you know, as you start getting deeper and deeper into the the universe and the content, they're like, well, we could just. You know, we have a planet or we have this character over there that doesn't really do much. But if we give him a name that people recall, mm-hmm. people are going to go look it up and okay. we're going to we're going to see more conversation about our film. OK. And you know, I don't think that's a bad model. No, no. So tell me about the Infinity Watch. So the Infinity Watch, they're essentially a group of heroes, six heroes that work together to protect the Infinity Stones and the gems, whatever they're called. And well, I thought it was an actual watch. No. OK. <laughs> It's kind of like the Night's Watch. I thought it was like a fancy uh, Apple Watch, but go ahead. No, it's yeah, it's it's a fancy watch. You just put all the gems <laughs> instead of the big gauntlet. The gauntlet is so so 1987. You just gotta you gotta go with the watch now. Um, there's been a you know a, a couple teams led by Adam Warlock, Doctor Strange, and Loki even had one. Uh, Drax and Star Lord have been members of it. Uh, there's usually six members, one member for each stone. I actually think this would make a good Disney Plus show. Okay. Where you could, you know, I don't know what they're going to do with the Infinity Stones now that 
Cap had had returned them to where they need to be, and Thanos is dead, and and yeah, no one else can go back and grab them. Yeah, I'll I don't know. Okay. So I don't know if you do like an Infinity um, Infinity Watch series, maybe as like a, a sequel to Loki, mm-hmm. so you keep Tom Hiddleston involved. I don't really know what you do. Maybe maybe you get Bautista as Drax on it, um, kind of make it like a um, Legends of Tomorrow show okay. on the CW, where they they time travel and they could you know go to different periods and, and stuff. I think that that would make a, an interesting show, but that's basically what it is. They, they just have adventures keeping the gems safe. Okay. Well, you brought up Drax and I have here that in the comic book, he was human. Yes. Okay. So what, yes. what's the deal? So he's a human, Arthur Douglas, him and his wife are out for a drive. Thanos spaceship comes in and he attacks them. Wait, hold on. Just randomly attacks this couple. Well, he thinks that he, they, they saw his ship. Okay. So he needs right. to eliminate them. Um, <laughs> Jeez, because comics, you know, so they're out for the drive. They get attacked. The wife survives and actually becomes a character called Moon Dragon, who joins up Infinity Watch and becomes uh, part of the Guardians at various points and takes advent, you know, does adventures in space. They take Douglas's body. So there's there's a god named Kronos who's you know right in line with the Celestials and with Thanos and. He takes Douglas's spirit and puts it into this this powerful body. And, you know, one thing to know with Drax in the comics, he's got he's a little bit more green skinned with the red uh, red line drawing. So he would look a little bit more like Gamora. So I think that they, they you know, tone back and gotcha. made it this kind of chalky color just so you didn't have the two you could you know, diversify right, right, the, right. the images standing next that to each other. Sense. So he battles Drax fights Thanos on a number of occasions. Eventually when not the Carol Danvers, Captain Marvel, but a, a other Captain Marvel beats Thanos. Drax then fights that Captain Marvel to, um, because he's mad that <laughs> he can't fight Thanos. So Captain Marvel's bad. Oh, Drax is bad, right? They reference in the movie that he was once Ronan's henchman, so they take away all of the human story piece of this. Oh, okay. So they 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 put him in line with Ronan. You know, I wonder if we'll see in the the next Captain Marvel movie because Ronan, you know, was in it. Yeah. If we'll see a little bit more of that Drax Ronan connection, mm-hmm. so that we could get, you know, maybe we get Drax's. Not that I think we need it, but we might get Drax's origin story where his we actually see the death. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a way to keep Bautista and another, you know, familiar face involved in the Captain Marvel films. Okay. And brighten up some of the dourness. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well let's uh let's transition. Yeah. So let's go into um this movie's role within the universe, within the MCU. Now this we talk about when we when we first started. We talked about how you know, welcome to space, and this is kind of like our first foyer for the Marvel world into space, which is going to set up the whole. I mean, this feels like the beginning of End Games. Uh, you know what I mean? The whole that whole thing. Yes. Like the first phase, all everything up until this point has just felt like standalones, and mm-hmm. this is the Marvel universe. Oh, there's stuff there. You don't know about this. You don't know about that. There's Thor and. I know that Thor is from space. So I get mm-hmm. that. But Thor's stuff is mainly on Earth at this right. point. We don't get to Ragnarok until the, th- the third. And I think Ragnarok's, I mentioned it before, is deeply influenced in terms of its style and its look yes. and its promotional campaign from Guardians. Absolutely. Guardians was the first movie to make 
to earn more than $300 million and not have Iron Man in it. So it was the first movie in the MCU to be successful without the Iron Man character, which actually goes to show you how popular the Iron Man character yes. was uh, compared to the others, which I'm surprised. I think because I actually prefer the Captain America character, but I think because Captain America is in the past and it's more of, the, you know, I think that uh, people don't want to see that, which I can always dig on World War II era, that kind of stuff. Right. So I think that's probably why Captain America isn't as popular. And plus, Robert Downey Jr. is very charismatic as as uh, as Iron Man as Tony Stark, so I understand that. And it was the first. And to that regard, Iron Man uses popular music. ACDC, yep. Guardians of the Galaxy does the same things with seventies and eighties music. Like I said, this feels like the beginning of now. Whether they knew that, I don't know. I, I agree. Like if we look at the past three movies that we have watched in this phase, so Thor two, Captain America two, Iron Man three, this is the biggest Stark contrast like those almost seem like the doors closed on some of those characters right right and then when you get to here it's like we're going to spend five minutes telling you all about the infinity stones mm-hmm. we've slightly teased them people have been on the internet looking up you know rumors and stuff but now we're going to spend we're going to give you the origin story on the infinity stones which are going to be the MacGuffin that that drives the next 12 movies mm-hmm. and i think you know i agree with what you're saying so the, the elements that are basically setting up the rest of the what's going to be happening in the next couple movies mm-hmm. or whatever to the end game is the Power Stone, the Thanos meet where you learn about Thanos. Yep. And I guess the collector because the collector comes in later on. Yeah, he makes yeah. an appearance in uh, Infinity War. And did we already see it with Thor? So, yeah, he was in the teaser for Thor, too. Right. For, right. For, um, right. Dark World. I found it interesting, you know, on the Thanos topic that. You know, we've been we've been told that he's been played up as this Avengers villain, this Avengers villain, and then now he appears in his most screen time in a very non-Avengers film. Well, that strikes me as, you know, let's start. Let's let's. I want to get to this. Mm-hmm. Let let's let's get Thanos in there more. Let's talk about Thanos and develop that. And yeah. let's connect him to this movie. Let's connect him to Ronan. Ronan's already connected to Thanos. He's got two, you know, Nebula and mm-hmm. uh, Gamora are connected to Thanos. So let's start that. Whether they kind of knew where they were going, I don't know. Maybe they might have. They might have had an idea, but they were definitely like, this is what we're doing. Let's let's go. We're in the middle of phase two. Yep. What do you really think their plan was? End of phase three. We're going to wrap this up. Now, mind you, the two phases were six movies. The first two. The first two. Yeah. The third phase is 12, 13. Something like yeah, that. It's yeah. It's bigger. Yeah. So I'm like, cause I'm wondering like stuff like, did they anticipate how popular Black Panther would be so that they knew that they had to put, get, had to get Black Panther into the, and mm-hmm. into the last, did they anticipate Captain Marvel's success? I don't think they necessarily anticipated Captain Marvel's success because she's not, they premiered that movie and then like two months later, Endgame came out. And they had to make excuses for her not to be there because right. she could just rip up everybody and that yes. was it. It's over. Yeah. Which we'll, we'll, we'll touch on. I mean, I think they, they were able to get the rights to Spider-Man too. So they wanted to put a Spider-Man movie in Well, there. that's the other thing too. Like when they started this, they, 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 didn't, have, they didn't think yeah. that they were going to get Spider-Man. So, so then they, yeah. they had the, um, but the, I, you know, the, this is kind of operating on the same, you know, we talked about that annihilation storyline happening at the same time as the Civil War storyline in the comics where you got the space stuff and you got the Earth stuff working simultaneously, you know, kind of in parallel with each other. And then all the while the, the Thanos villain is, is coming up. Do they know like when this movie takes place in terms of the timeline? 
So it takes place 26 years after 1988. Okay, so 2014. So it's basically taking place right after the last movie, which is... Yeah, right after Captain America and Thor and And Iron Iron Man 3. 3. So it's it's in chronological order almost. Yes. Okay. It's almost a standalone. It's setting up stuff, not to its detriment. Ultra Age of Ultron. The next one. Big problem with that. It sets up stuff that's just... Why is Thor in this bath again? But stuff like that. So... No, I know we've already know what happens in the second movie um, in terms of these characters. I'm wondering about a couple things if you're if you think you're going to see in the third movie for Guardians of the Galaxy, which I would assume wraps up this this kind of like I mean, obviously, if you have not watched these movies, you know, I'm sorry if I'm about to spoil something <laughs> for you, but, you know, they brought they kill off Gamora in uh, Infinity War. They bring her back in Endgame, but she's a different Gamora. She's from a different time period, right? Mm-hmm. Now you can recreate all the awkward I love you stuff from Peter Quill and and you know what I mean? Which they kind of started doing yeah. in Endgame a little. So Rocket has a soulmate. Rocket does have a soulmate. Do you think that that's going to come into play? Do you think they're going to explore? I think I think he said he was exploring Rocket more. In the I film, would hope right? so. I think Rocket is... Um... I enjoy the Rocket character. Probably sure. most of, of a lot of these guys. Of um, the Guardians. Of the Guardians, yeah. The, the joke at the time and the memes that were going around, because this is pre-Patty Jenkins on Wonder Woman. This is when they still couldn't get the Wonder Woman film off the ground. I know Joss Whedon had, had worked on it and, and many others. The joke was that Marvel could make us feel emotion about a raccoon in a tree. <laughs> and DC couldn't put out a movie about a woman. <laughs> Like that was that was how bad it was getting for DC at the time. I think putting out, you know, focusing on Rocket instead of Quill, instead of, you know, you could do the Gamora stuff and the Quill stuff in the background, but I think Rocket's really shined in Infinity War when he had the moments with Thor mm-hmm. and they went to um to build him a new hammer. He's really shined in his moments in Endgame when he was the only one that was kind of still right. sticking around giving him a moment to shine and, and do his own thing. At some points, I think Bradley Cooper brings out more emotion in a voice mm-hmm. than Chris Pratt does. Oh, <laughs> shot across the bow. Then, then Chris Pratt doesn't, you know, yeah, but acting, but rocket doesn't have a moment where he can, he can be doused in, in red liquid and have, and just sit there with his rippling, uh, uh zero dark 30 apps. <laughs> Everybody's like, oh, he got in shape for Moneyball. It's like, yeah, but did you see him in Moneyball? Yeah. <laughs> he really got in shape for Zero Dark Thirty. Let's, <laughs> let's be honest here. <laughs> um, but yes, so Rocket does have a have a soulmate, a girlfriend, a lady friend, whatever you want to call her. Lady Lila. Lady that's Lila. She's a sentient otter. Yes. So what is her deal? So she's a, that's it. Don't just a, say she's a sentient otter. She's a sentient <laughs> otter. Um, the, apparently there was a tie-in video game to this movie. Uh, like Crash Bandicoot? no like a, a bad game crash okay. bandicoot's a great game <laughs> it was a tie-in everybody makes a video game just to sell it yeah so that's what she is she's a, a sentient otter that again gets um i'm gonna i'm gonna imagine not to cut you off but i'm gonna imagine she's going to be somebody they're gonna connect like because they don't explain how like who he does gets, the stuff yeah to i would like to see them i think that do that right. with her. You've already done the Quill and Gamora stuff, which you can, like you said, you can do in the background because you've already done that as a right. major plot point in this movie. So you can't really do that again. Um, Drax stuff, 
Drax is a supporting character. I really don't think you can give Drax. No, and you could put Drax in Captain Marvel as Ronan's henchman True. and give him a different layer you to his character. Him, you right. could show him in it's there and way. give him a different layer to that, that character, but really focus on right. Rocket. And, and you've already Guardians seen 3. you've already seen Groot do his transformation from dying in this. And uh, well, if you didn't know, he dies in this one. <laughs> Becomes a stick. I wonder, like when they did the stick and he's dancing and he's uh, that was in the first one, right? That was yeah. in this one. That's like the mid credits yeah. scene. Here. I wonder when they did that, they were just their eyes were lit up with with dollar signs. Oh, we yeah. were like, "Oh my god!" It, and as Pat points to the, what did we have it over there? Yeah, oh, of course he does. Does it dance if I if we if we start if we put batteries out, in for crying out loud? You're just one of them, Pat. You're the flock. But anyways, that's fine. They probably loved that, and they were like, "Yes," you know, like yeah. the same thing to do with Baby Yoda yep. and when the Mandalorian came out and all that stuff. So that's fine, even though that's not Yoda. So that's that's <laughs> fine. Um, they've already done the Groot stuff where he becomes a teenager. Because in the second one, they do the whole thing where he's a teenager, and it's funny, and yeah. it, it, it's re- it's it's relatable for me right now. Uh, so <laughs> they, I think, exploring the rocket stuff is probably smart. I think he said he wanted to do that. Yeah, he which, did. Yeah. He tweeted about it and said that he wanted to do it. Um, yeah. He was tweeting during quarantine, doing our rewatch who, of the film. Wasn't right. Uh, one thing that he did know, and you know, we kind of give some of the the filmmakers crap for this is you know are they just part are they just a tv director coming in and doing what the studio says and whether this is just keeping to the party line he's back in marvel's good graces and he's trying to be good he the only thing he, he said was that the only thing marvel mandated was the thanos cameos mm-hmm. and the thanos uh, pieces in there and include the origin of the infinity stones so marvel was already planning you know, years ahead that they're going to need this and, yeah. and they were going to use space to do it for the most part. It, it it feels like he put his own personality in there. I think he's able to. Yes. Because because it was separate from everything else. It was unknown. It was new characters. Right. But this, when the second one comes out, now he has to do stuff. Yes. You know, now there's probably more of a mandate, which is what happens when you, you know, you're you successful. Forward. Absolutely. And that's just part of the game. Yeah. Have you this was a bold statement by Marvel to right. bring him in? Sure. Have you seen any of his other films? So I, yeah, I have. The trauma uh, films? The, you're talking about the 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 Night of the Creeps uh, kind of spoof, the Slither? I've yeah, seen, yeah, that. And then um, Super, yes. which is the one with Rain Wilson, which yeah, is, I that. went on a whole kick with that. It's, Griff the Invisible, Defendor with Woody Harrelson, these like real world superheroes. It's overly violent. The, it <laughs> is. And it's it's not great. It's okay. Um, Slither is the same way. Slither's, like I remember Night of the Creeps. If you remember eighties horror, there were like the little these slithers. They're little leech kind of things. They're little like these little monsters that get inside of you and they control you. It's disgusting. Uh, but Night of the Creeps is so like eighties horror, and I, I and so I was I watched Slither and it's okay. It, his movies beforehand were fine. I w- I was they were fine. They were they had the same kind of jokes and even like this movie's fun. This movie's a fun movie. It is, but. I mean, I can give you more more movies that I enjoy that I like much better, but it's a fun movie. I can't I'm not going to it's it is what it is. It's a big summer movie. I mean, I just told you I've been watching Twister on Netflix <laughs> and I know it's terrible. I know that there's stuff in there that I'm just like, oh, man, stop. But I don't just care. Turn it back on. I, I mean, I will still I don't know why I still laugh when Philip Seymour Hoffman goes Greenage. And like it's <laughs> I know I'm on a tangent, but yes. So no, it's it's a fun movie, but I have seen his other stuff. Yeah. And I mean, I'm interested to see his his Suicide Squad because uh, the first one was eh. the first one was eh. the first one was bad. Uh, oh, there's some stuff that's all right. The Will Smith stuff's good. He's he's 
Will Smith didn't want to be in that movie. I know, but his stuff was all right. I enjoyed it. All right. I, I said <laughs> one part of it I liked. It's not that I didn't say the movie's great. I'm interested to see what he does. That's all. He's got a good cast in the next I one, mean, too. Just, you, you just can't put box office poison Jack Courtney in there and you're all set. Oh, God. I feel bad because I don't mind Jack Courtney, but like, yes, he's in movies. When he's in movies, they, they bomb. Jack Courtney needs a moment like Taylor Kitsch has. Yeah. Where he is box office. Which is terrible. They're, too, they're both decent actors. But when you put him in um, Waco or yeah. True Detective season two. Waco's fantastic. Waco, Waco yeah. was amazing. True Detective series. Where, this isn't what the podcast is about, Pat. <laughs> just, we're just talking about. But I hear you. Box I, office. Agree. Yeah. Agreed. People who are sometimes box office poison don't deserve to be. Uh, so true. We'll just leave it at that. Okay. That's that's all I got. All right, I'm I'm out. Uh, that that's uh, now I leave, and Pat's gonna give you some recommended reading, and uh, yeah, we'll see you next time for Age of Ultron. Age of Ultron. So we're gonna get back. Wait a minute. So that's the fifth movie, and then Ant Man. Wow, that's yes. the movie they used to wrap up the phase. Yeah, well, it kind of wraps up with Age of Ultron. So then we're five. So, but Phase Two is considered Ant Man's considered Phase yes. Two. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Well, <laughs> just, I, don't, I don't know. Listen, it's been so long ago. What, six years? I know if you said so much stuff has happened. No, I want to know if you said interesting on purpose. Did I say? Oh, no. Yeah. Well, but now I did. Yes, Play I back. did. Interesting. There we go. I said it again. All right. I'm out. We'll see you next week or next. Yeah. Next episode for Age of Ultron. Avengers Age of Ultron. And we get to let's talk about James Spader singing and dancing and all that stuff. And yeah. So, Pat, give, let them know what they can watch. Or excuse yeah. me. Pat, let them know what they can listen. To. Oh, nope. Pat. <laughs> Pat. Let them know what they can read. As always, at the end of each episode, we like to send you home with some recommended reading that follows up on some of the characters and plots presented in this week's film. Our recommended reading section is sponsored by Infinite Heroes, comics, cards, and collectibles in Watertown, Connecticut. If you're in the Connecticut or New England area, it's a great location to pick up comics from Marvel, as well as DC, Image, and more. They also have a large collection of trading cards, toys, and collectibles. Owner Paul Santos has worked in comics for years. Most recently as an editor of DC Comics. Ask him for a recommendation and tell him we sent you. Thanks everybody for listening for some recommended reading for you. We got, I know, you know, when we meet new characters, we usually head to their comic book origins, but we're going to skip all of that from the original team because it really bears no resemblance to the team as we know and love it today. Instead, let's start with Dan Abnett's and Andy Lanning's take on the team from 2008 in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1 legacy this collects the first six issues of the series and stars star lord rocket gamora drax grew adam warlock and phylavel in this version star lord puts together a team to help prevent galaxy defining wars things get a little tricky when they learn how the team actually came together next we're moving to the second iteration of the modern team with brian michael bendis's take in the 2013 to 2015 guardians of the galaxy series bendis is going to be a regular on these recommended reading lists so get used to them this series was launched in anticipation of the Guardians film and features all your favorites, Quill, Gamora, Drax, Rocket, Groot, and the surprising inclusion of Iron Man himself. Check out Volume 1, Cosmic Avengers, to learn why Earth is constantly the target of various invasions and may be the most important planet out there. Heard about Pluto? Messed up, right? And because I couldn't conclude this segment without some love for Rodent, or Raccoon, or Rocket, check out Rocket Raccoon Volume 1, Chasing Tail by Scotty Young. This fun little adventure is full of wacky twists and turns and even shed some light on Rocket's origins. We know, we know, Bradley Cooper deserved an Oscar for Rocket. This will help you get over it, we think.